Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Man, good morning, Bethesda Church. How's everybody doing? Y'all don't sound good. How's everybody doing? Yeah, that's a lot better. So good to see you in God's house. I do want to take a minute. They mentioned it in pre-show, but this is for in-house only. The book um, that I wrote, it is on sale for 10 bucks for the next few weeks. Pick one up for yourself, maybe a Christmas gift for somebody, bless somebody. The second thing I want to hit real quick, uh, how many saw the tornadoes sweeping through Kentucky, Tennessee, all of that? Uh, I, I just want to make sure that we, we pray for all those states, and specifically there was one family that um, Pastor Karen was telling me about this morning. Uh, they have three kids, um, one of which uh, was a baby by the name of Oakley, uh, some severe damage, um, some brain bleeding. And so in your time of prayer today, will you pray for baby Oakley? Will you all help me pray for baby Oakley at some point today? Um, and just ask that God would, would meet the need there. How many know God is a healing God? right? Healing is something he has provided. And so we want to pray uh, for those families that have been impacted um, by that. If you're watching online, thank you for tuning in. Uh, We have uh, kicked off a series last week called The Gift, and we looked at the three gifts that the Magi brought, what we call them wise men, that they brought to Jesus. And each of those gifts uh, represents something. They, they came and not only brought gifts, but they came to worship Jesus. Last week, we talked about frankincense. And frankincense uh, represents Jesus's priestly role, that he is our high priest, that uh, because he became the bridge between us and God, that he understands us and he sympathizes with us. Aren't you thankful that our God sympathizes with us and knows what we're going through? And in that role of high priest, what you have to understand is that the justice of God was satisfied in the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. And because the justice of God has been satisfied, he has now extended mercy to you and I. I'm going to pick up this this message series by talking about the suffering uh, suffering servant, um, because the Magi brought myrrh as well. They not only brought gold and frankincense, but they brought myrrh. And as we think about the manger scene, the nativity scene, um, most of us, when we think about that, I think you're probably like me, when we picture them bringing these gifts to Jesus, you probably visualize something like what I visualize. Uh, You're probably seeing three wise men, because most manger scenes or nativity scenes have that, with the flowing robes and made of porcelain, because that's what manger scenes are made of. You probably think about the farm animals that were there, maybe a cow or a sheep that was present. Uh, Chances are you might see a shepherd uh, as you visualize this. If the roof is pitched, you probably see the angel at the top, right, uh, and, and the beaming light, and, and then also the nightlight that is underneath where Jesus is sleeping. We, we have all these pictures in our head about the nativity scene, the, the manger scene. The challenge, though, is that very likely there were many more wise men than three. 
There were much more than that. There could have been dozens of them that came to present these gifts to Jesus. Um, And the other thing that I found very interesting in my study time and preparation for this series is that most scholars agree that by the time the wise men, the magi, made it to Jesus, that he was no longer an infant, but probably 18 months old and potentially even older. Now, I don't know if that does anything for you, but it kind of changes the way I visualize this. And and the reason for that is because I've raised toddlers. Are you with me? How many of you have raised a toddler? Come on, raise those hands. How many of of you have ever been around a toddler? right? You, you kind of know the drill and what that looks like. I mean, if you go to a restaurant, many times Karen and I would choose not to go to a restaurant um, because when we would go to a restaurant with a toddler, there's going to be banging on the table, right? There's going to be, you take them to the store, there's going to be fits that are thrown, they may throw themselves in the floor, and you become the worst parent on the planet because you will give them anything they want just to make them stop. You know what I'm talking about. Here's my iPhone. Take it. Play Baby Shark for the millionth time. Go ahead and play it. Knock yourself out. I'll buy you a pony. Come on, somebody. I'll I'll get you a race car even though we all know you can't. I'll do whatever it takes to make you stop. And as I visualize raising a toddler, I also understand that I was way too harsh on parents of toddlers before I had kids of my own. Anybody feel me right there? And and as I visualize this, seeing these wise men not only offering gifts to Jesus, but bowing down to worship a toddler. Now, how many know this is powerful? And the story picks up in Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Unusual gifts in our day and age, but at this time, they were valuable gifts, very useful gifts. And the gifts had a symbolic nature prophetically stating who Jesus would become. We know that the gold speaks to the kingship of Jesus. How many of you are thankful that Jesus is, in fact, a king, right? Nobody's voting on him or putting him in office. Like He's king, and that's what the gold speaks to. The frankincense we learned last week speaks to his priestly role, that that because uh, he is our priest, he has satisfied God's justice, now has given us mercy. And then the gift we're talking about today is myrrh. Everybody say myrrh. Come on, you can do better than that. Say myrrh. And myrrh, as you're about to find out, myrrh is something that a lot of us don't know anything about, um, but it was a valuable gum-like substance that is actually used 17 different times in the Bible. Occasionally, it would be used as as an antiseptic. And if you know the story of Jesus dying for us on the cross, that they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, right? And that was to numb the pain, but Jesus rejected the wine and the myrrh because he wanted to feel the full weight of what he was carrying on our behalf. More commonly, though, myrrh was known as an ingredient used to embalm the dead. 
In other words, myrrh would have been used when Jesus gave his life to help prepare his body for burial. Myrrh, scholars agree, and I, I would concur with them, it represents Jesus as the suffering servant or the Lamb of God who was born to die for the forgiveness of sins. So even as a baby, you have to know that this child that we sing about at this time of year and, and who we, we recognize it's a holy event and we're thankful for it, we have to understand that he came not as God's plan B, but as God's plan A to die in our place. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to look at Isaiah 53 because I want us to leave here feeling the full magnitude of what Jesus carried for you and I. But before I get to Isaiah chapter number 53, how many football fans do I have in the room today? Man, I'm pastoring the wrong church. I don't know if I can hang out with y'all if you don't like football. How many football fans do I have in the house? Like, I don't care, high school, college, pro. Like, all right, we got some football fans. Now, um, just in case you didn't know, the football team. They have won four straight. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. And we ask today that you would help us to kill the Dallas Cowboys. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Not really, but. But it's football season. We're at the height of it. And if I were to tell you, I could predict, and I'm not predicting that Washington, the football team, will be in the Super Bowl. But if I could predict who could be in the Super Bowl, what the two teams would be, and I could tell you what the final score of the Super Bowl would be, and who was going to win it, and I knew it, like I just knew it, and I could predict that. Uh, you're probably not going to admit this, but if you're a gambler, you would probably want to be my friend, right? You would want to hang out with me. But let's take it a step further. Imagine with me for just a moment that football is still popular 700 years from now. And 700 years from now, I could tell you who was going to play in the Super Bowl and what the two teams were, what the score would be, and who would win, how many, I would be a prophet like no, no other, if I could predict that. And that is exactly what the great prophet Isaiah did 700 years before Jesus was ever born. He prophesied every detail of what would happen and what he would carry on my behalf and your behalf. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at, first of all, the problem but how God dealt with the problem and why we get to experience his forgiveness and his grace. If you wouldn't look with me at Isaiah 53, verse 6. It says, all of us, that's everybody. Say all of us. All right, I, I want us to grab all of us. Okay, this is, this is all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Everybody say, like sheep. All right? I want you to get that. All of us, like sheep, okay? We have gone astray. We have followed our own path. Isaiah says, you and I are like sheep, and unfortunately, that is not a compliment. Had he said, we are like eagles or lions that could have been taken as a compliment. But Isaiah says, all we, like sheep, 
We have strayed away. We have fought, left God's path to follow our own. So he doesn't call us a lion, an eagle, or any other great animal you could think of. He, he calls us sheep, and he's essentially saying that all of us, I'm talking to everyone here, you're not the brightest crayon in the box. You're not that bright. What Isaiah is saying is that we all need some help. Because the truth is, you can train a lot of animals. You can train a dog. You can train a bird, a hamster. You can train an elephant, a pig. And go figure, you can even train a cat. That blows my mind. But you cannot train a sheep. You've never gone to the circus, and i got to be careful that I slow down and say this the right way. You, you'll never go to a circus and watch a sheep show. I need a little help on a Sunday morning. You've never had someone invite you over to their house to watch their sheep play. Sheep is not a compliment, and all we, like sheep, have gone astray. And sheep are known for three things. Sheep are weak, witless, and wayward. Weak in the fact that they are defenseless. When an animal attacks the sh a sheep, um, whether it be a coyote or some other kind of animal, um, the sheep simply huddle together and basically say, take your pick. They have no way of fighting back. They are completely defenseless. They are also witless. Um, in other words, they do not think for themselves. They follow the crowd. If one sheep does dumb sheep stuff, then all the other sheep will do dumb sheep stuff. I'm being very, very slow right here. Um, they follow one another. And there's a true story. You can Google this on your spare time, like you got plenty of spare time during this time of year. Uh, I know you got tons of it. You don't have gifts to buy. You don't have work to, to do. You don't have anything to really get ready for. Uh, you can Google this, but there's a story from, from uh, Turkey in 2005, and um, it's crazy, but one sheep jumped off a cliff, and watch this, 1,499 more followed it. 1,500 sheep jumped off a cliff because they follow one another. They, 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 they're, they wander around. They don't have any purpose at all. And, and the, you would think that after the first one and the second one and the third one and maybe the 1,000th one, that one of the sheep would have stopped and said, hey, this is a bad plan. But not one sheep stopped. They all went off the cliff. And the bad news is, is that 450 of them died. You're like, well, how did the others live? The first 450 that jumped, they died. The rest of them lived because the first 450 made a sheep pillow. <laughs> that story just does something for me. I, and it's, it's true. It's true. It's a true story. You can look this up. Um, and so sheep are weak, they are witless, and they are wayward. When we say way, wayward, what I mean by that is they wander off. If, if a sheep could talk and you ask the sheep, what are you doing? They would say, I don't know. Like, where are you going? They would say, I don't know. 
What do you do? I don't know. Sheep wander around much like we do, especially this time of year when you factor in the stress and the anxiousness that some of us feel in this season. Some of us feel overwhelmed because we do stupid stuff like sheep. Uh, some of the things that we do that's stupid, and I'm as guilty as you are, we eat too much. I should have gotten one amen right there. We eat too much, we don't get enough rest. We overspend, we overwork, we overworry, we wonder like sheep, we chase things like approval and status and how many likes we can get on the gram. And Isaiah was saying when he compared us to sheep that you're not that amazing, that you need a little help. Hit your neighbor and tell him you need a little help. That's what Isaiah is saying. You need a little help. And the reason we need help is because we stray away from God's path and we choose our own path. How many of you can be honest today and say there have been seasons in your life where you chose your own path instead of God's? Okay, some of y'all are going to hell. I'm kidding. I know you're just not playing along. I get it. Uh, but I want to look at this. I'm really kidding. Some of y'all, did he say I'm going to hell? You're not going to hell. God forbid you go to hell. Isaiah 53 Verses 6 and 7, it says, All of us, like sheep, have strayed. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, talking about Jesus, the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And so if you've ever been hurt, misunderstood, overlooked, unjustly criticized, or just misunderstood at any level, you have to understand Jesus gets it. He has walked in your shoes. Verses 3 through 5 go on to tell us of, of, of the same chapter. It says, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made be whole, and he was whipped so we could be healed. How many are thankful for what Jesus endured on your behalf? Anybody thankful for what he endured for all of us? That's what Isaiah is, is, is he's, he's, he's saying is 700 years before it happened. He's prophesying what Jesus would endure on our behalf, what he would go through. And it seems like when we look at the story of Jesus being born and we talk about the nativity, we talk about the manger scene, that sometimes we, we say things like, man, it's just an awesome thing that God would come. And, and it, it is an awesome thing. And it was a holy event. But the question becomes, considering that he has died and he rose again, is what does that really mean? Why should I follow Jesus? Why should I devote my life to him? Because when you and I understand the magnitude of what he went through, when we understand the weight of his suffering and the depths of his love, we won't casually say, I'm a Christian. That when we really grab hold of what he suffered, I, I, I'm not just going to say, well, I, I think we should pray over the food. Because, you know, that's what we do. Or maybe I should go to church on Sunday. Or maybe I should follow him. No, no, no. When you understand 
his love and the suffering that he endured, the only reasonable response to that is to give him my whole life. Not some of it. All of it. I'm going to do my best to articulate this, and it's going to take me a few minutes, but the cool thing is, is I preach really short at nine, and if I get a little help today, I'll preach a little shorter here too. So hit your neighbor and tell him he's not going to be that long. Now tell him that don't mean anything. All right, that's probably a better place to land it. If you start with his suffering, because that's what Isaiah is really talking about, because he's the suffering servant. If you start with the suffering at the Garden of Gethsemane, because that's really where it really began, and you read through the Gospels, this was the place where God wrestled with, or Jesus wrestled with God the Father because he got a glimpse of what was to come. It's the place where he asked his disciples to pray with him, and we know that they were so committed that they fell asleep, right? We all like sheep, right? There it is. Um, all alone, he cries out to God and he says, God, would you please remove this cup from me? In other words, God, is there another way? And the Bible says that he fell to the ground and then he began to, blood began to drip from his brow. And there's a medical term for that that I'm not really qualified to pronounce. We got some doctors in the house. They can help me out probably. But it's when you experience extreme amounts of trauma, and your capillaries, they burst, and blood is now mingled with your sweat. And he fell to the ground at this point, and he said, my soul is overwhelmed, even to the point of death. That's how bad it got for Jesus. He was saying, God, can we do this another way? Is there any other way for us to get this done? Knowing there was no other way, he then faithfully declared, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Then one of his own, Judas, betrays him with a kiss. He's arrested, he's falsely accused, unfairly tried, and he's sentenced to death by crucifixion. Now, we don't like talking about this at Christmas time. But it's important to the narrative. It's important to understanding that he was the suffering servant. But Jesus was stripped naked, publicly exposed, feeling humiliated and ashamed. They would put a crown of thorns on his head, the thorns approximately one and a half to two inches in length. And they would force them into his brow. And, and then the beating would start. Again and again, they would whip him across his back. They, would, they, they wore signet rings on their hands, and they would punch him in the face over and over. They would take clubs and pound it across his head, burying those, that crown of thorns deeper into his brow. And Isaiah, the prophet that we're reading from today, he, he, he explained it that, this way. He said he was so disfigured, that he wasn't even recognizable. Then weak, suffering, and all alone, they would give him the cross to carry. I want to remind you, these are the things he did for you. 
These are the things he did for me. The cross weighing approximately 100 pounds after he had taken a beating like this, and he was forced to carry it 700 yards on a road or a path known as the way of suffering to Golgotha, the place of the skull, to lay his life down for you and I. And when he gets there, they take seven-inch nails and drive them through his hands and through his feet. If you have ever doubted the love of God for you or your family, you, have to, you don't have to look any further than what Jesus endured so that you could make it into heaven and have eternal life. Anybody thankful for what he endured? He did all of that for you, all of that for me. The only way he could breathe once he was nailed to that cross was to lift himself up with his hands full of nails and push himself up with his feet because ultimately the way you would die was suffocation. You couldn't breathe. And so as you pushed yourself up, your shoulders would then become dislocated and his legs would give out, unable to breathe. And there he is in the heat of the day, naked, exposed, as creation mocks the Son of God, the Creator. And all of that, as terrible as it was, probably the darkest moment, was when Jesus at that moment became everything vile, everything filthy, everything unholy, everything demonic. And some of you are like, oh, you're messing with my theology. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could be made the righteousness of God. It's in this moment where the innocent lamb, the suffering servant, has taken on the weight of the world's sin, and the Father, God the Father, cannot look upon it. And at that moment, Jesus feels for the very first time that this fellowship and intimate relationship with God the Father is broken, and he asks the question, God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, why aren't you here with me. They offered him at this moment wine mixed with myrrh, the very thing they would use to embalm him at his death. And he says, I don't want anything to numb the pain. I'm going to finish what my father sent me to do. And he declares that by faith. And then he says, it is finished it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave his life for the forgiveness of sins. Isaiah the great prophet prophesied this 700 years before it ever took place. This innocent child, born of a virgin, who never sinned, he would endure all of these things on behalf of my sins, on behalf of your sins. Isaiah continues in verses 8 and 9 and verse 11. He says, Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, that's again the suffering servant, he will be satisfied. 
And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. We got to think about this for a minute. What separates Christianity from all other religions? What separates it from New Age, from Buddhism, from Hinduism, from Islam? What separates it is the bloody death of an innocent victim. That's what sets it apart. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament to something known as Passover. Once a year, God would execute his temporary judgment on the sins of the people, and he would unleash this judgment on the world, his righteous judgment on the sins of mankind. And the only thing that could protect you from the judgment was the blood of an innocent lamb. A family would take a lamb, a one-year-old lamb. They would sacrifice the lamb. They would eat the meat from the lamb. And they would take the blood of that lamb and put it on top of the door and on the sides of the door, which, in fact, is a picture of the cross, the very instrument that Jesus would be crucified on. And, and it seems to be totally unfair that an innocent lamb would take the punishment, but this historical event, we see the cross foreshadowed as the blood of Jesus is the reason that you and I have been set free. So what separates Christianity from all other religions is the fact that God would become flesh, that he would be pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, beaten so that we could be made whole, and by his stripes we are healed. That's the reason. The reason I pray healing for people is because I just read what he paid for it. I just read everything he did. Listen, healing is not something God is going to do. It's something God has already done. It's done. It's finished. It's why Jesus declared from the cross, it is finished. Over the last few weeks, we've had people, you, you think it's just emotion we go through when people come up to the altar and receive prayer, but we've had cancer healed and kidneys healed and, and all kinds of miracles that are breaking, shoulders healed. We've had people get healed. And I know some of us think that's just the last part of the service that they do this little thing, but people are receiving miracles and it's not because it's something God is going to do. It's something God has already done. He's already provided I'm going to try to hurry. When we visualize this, the wise men will offer him myrrh, the substance that is used to embalm the dead. And in that, we understand God is foreshadowing what is to come, that the Lamb of God would be slain for the sins of the world. And Jesus so understood this that he prophesied about it in Luke 9, verse 22 and 23, here's what Jesus said. He said, the Son of Man, talking about himself, he must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day. I, I just love Jesus. Like, I'm going to die, but I'm going to get up. I, I, I don't know what that does. That's so cool. They're going to kill me. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. And he said to the crowd, 
If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. What, where did we start? All we, like sheep, have gone our own way. And Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you've got to give up your way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Let me tell you what he did not say. He didn't say, pray some little prayer, and then you'll be blessed and prosper the rest of your life. He didn't say, pray a little prayer of salvation, then live your life and do whatever you want to do, and Jacuzzi Jesus will continue to set you free over and over. What he said was, is that if you want to be my disciple, then you've got to deny yourself because it's not about you. You've got to take up your cross. You've got you to follow him. You've got to give up yourself and die to yourself and then he said you can follow me in other words this Christianity what Jesus has done for us this is not a hobby this is not an add-on this is not something that helps me feel good as I celebrate Santa Claus at grandma's house it's God becoming flesh born of a virgin inheriting the sin nature not of his father he didn't inherit that but he inherited a divine nature from his heavenly father and when we understand that it will overwhelm our lives it will overtake our lives because what he did did hear me church he did for you he did for me for your sin for your hypocrisy for your greed for your jealousy for all of those things he did it for us give him praise in the house right now give him a little bit of praise in the house I'm preaching harder this time am I preaching a little harder pastor Jeremy I'm sweating. I didn't sweat at nine. I want you to get this. Because he did it for us. God sent the Magi. And they gave gold, prophetically declaring he's king. You gotta, he's, a, he's a baby, man. He's a toddler. And they're like, this is the king. We're going to give him gold. He's a toddler. He's a, whether it's a baby or a toddler, really kind of irrelevant. They give him frankincense. Because he's the high priest. He will become the bridge to the Father. They gave him myrrh, which was a picture that he is born. As a baby, he's born to suffer. Born to die. That's why it's called the gospel. This is good news. That our God loves you so much, and I have no doubt, those watching online and those in this room, there are people under the sound of my voice that you question whether or not God loves you. And after what we just talked about and what Isaiah prophesied would happen, and it happened, and the suffering he endured, you should never again question the love of God. But also, I don't serve, let me just say it like this, I don't serve God because I feel like it's going to make me a better person. I serve God because of who he is and not only who he is, what he was willing to do and what he was willing to endure so that I could be in relationship with him. God who loved the world, this is the gospel, 
loved the world so much that he gave his son to die in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. Isaiah prophesied about it 700 years before it happened. And the Bible says Jesus was obedient even unto death. That he became sin in our place. The justice of God satisfied and now the mercy of God is extended. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes and no one look around for the next couple of minutes. There are people in this room and watching online that you would say, Pastor, I need his forgiveness. I need his grace. I know I've fallen short. I feel the weight of my sin. I don't really know where I stand with God. I want to encourage you today that when you call on the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus, that God forgives, that he also separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. God doesn't see your sin. He only sees his grace, the goodness, the power, and the glory of Jesus. And so if that is you today and you say, Pastor, I need his grace, I need his forgiveness, I'm ready to turn from my sins I'm ready to turn toward Jesus. I want to give him my life. If you want to be a part of that prayer right now, throw that hand up right there where you are. Say, that's me, Pastor. Thank you for this hand over here. God bless you. Anyone else? You say, that's me. Another one here? God bless you. I want to be a part of this moment. Anyone else? Those watching online, our moderators would love to pray with you. Very simple prayer. It's not the words that, that change us. It's, it's the posture of the heart. And I'm going to help give you some words as we pray this together, out loud, all together. Can you lift up your voice and say, Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I'm asking you to forgive me, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for all that you did on my behalf. I receive the free gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you celebrate those that are making a decision? Come on, you can do better than that. Celebrate those that are making a decision to follow Jesus today. So good. Prayer team and staff, if you would get in place, we're going to open up the altar for a time of prayer. As they're transitioning into place, those of you that made that decision, if you would take a moment to fill out that Connect card, and you could drop it off. There's a, we'll just call it a salvation table. There's some balloon columns on both sides. Looks like Pastor Charles is back there. He, he's willing to help you take your next step. We want to put a brand new Bible in your hand. We just want to help you in your relationship with Jesus. And I also want to reiterate that this time, this moment, people are getting healed. People are, are, are receiving from God. This is not just something we do because it's the end of service and we need to end it in a, in a, in a, you know, a special way. This is a time for you to put your faith in action. Today, you may just want to respond to the word and say that by his stripes, I know I'm healed. I can, I, I can clearly see the price that Jesus paid. We want to put our faith with yours and believe God for a miracle. Before we go into this last song and sing, can you give Jesus the kind of praise he, he deserves today? Give him a high praise today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.